we are nearing the end of 1 John. And, um, you know, again, it kind of goes along with all of the uh, things we've been talking about for the past year and a half now about being a healthy church and how a healthy church is a community of, of disciples. And a disciple is someone who's learning about God, learning about Jesus, learning about the Word, but that they're not just learning that God's Spirit is changing their lives and helping them to become more like Jesus. And so John um, kind of writes in this kind of almost like cyclical way. And so he often repeats thoughts and he keeps adding on to the thoughts. And he, especially when he's summarizing, he's doing, uh, he's doing that. And so when we look at today, some of the words are going to seem familiar, but then there's going to be some new thoughts that are added. And so I made the title, Be Careful What You Ask For, but most people complete that statement by, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. And, uh, you know, some of you may have prayed for a husband and, and, and you got him. Um, yay. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You're all in, deeply in love with each other. Um, but there's, there's things that we say, you know, that's what we think, but actually, this is a little different, what the, what's being taught today from, from the Word. And, and so I, I think uh, most people here, um, older people may need to explain this to younger people, but people who are older used to wait for the Sears catalog. You guys ever, Sears catalog? Anybody ever order anything from the Sears catalog? Yeah. People would wait for it. When we were kids, we would get it, of course, and uh, use it to uh, perhaps suggest to mom and dad what they should get us for Christmas. But the Sears catalog, you know, had everything. They could buy, look at that. Can you imagine Katz Taurua wearing that right there? I think, I think he'd be stylish in that. You know, you had clothes and toys. Oh, the Nehru coat, yeah. Um, it's a pretty... Uh, pretty jazzy things, and, and so, so what if someone said to you, you, you know, money is no object, you can get anything you want from the Sears catalog, anything. Well, maybe you go, okay, Sears catalog, it's not good enough for you, this is, you know, why like a holla, so maybe it's the Neiman Marcus catalog, right? You can get anything you want from there, and again, it's, not a, not a money issue, whatever you want from there. Well, if you could get anything from the Sears catalog or the Neiman Marcus catalog, you know, whatever it might be, you know, you, know, you would probably think like, what is it that I, that I really want? It's what I would really ask for. And so when we would do that, we wouldn't necessarily think this, but when we think about it a little bit more, we'll actually figure out that it's kind of true, that what we ask for is going to say something about us. When I say be careful what you ask for, because what you ask for is going to reveal something about who you are. If you, you know, asked for clothes or something like that, or the type of clothes or a toy or Maybe you wanted a gun. I don't know. It would tell us something about who you are. And, 
you know, we don't think like that. It's like, no, it's just something I want. Well, something you want tells us something about who you are. And if you really wanted to be like, if you really thought about that and you wanted, then you kind of knew it tells something about who you are and you wanted to picture yourself a certain way, you might ask for something so that they would think you're a certain way. Maybe you would say, you know, I don't want something for myself. I want something for my friend or my mom or somebody who's, you know, going through a hard time. But nevertheless, what we ask for tells us something about who we are. And so when we say, be careful what you ask for, be careful, let me just take out the word ask for a second, put in this other word that's used in the Bible. Be careful what you pray for, because what you pray for tells us what you really want, tells us who you really are. So be careful, and that's what John is going to be communicating. You see, the, the world that we live in today, it needs hope. It needs hope, and this hope that can only come from God. And just think about this. How many times in the last week did you pray that, that the world would have more of the hope that comes from God. How many times in the last year, how many times in your Christian life have you prayed for that? If this is what the world needs, if this is what God's plan is, then it would seem to be that we as his, as his you know, children and disciples and followers would, would be praying for that. In fact, um, you remember this prayer that Jesus prayed, and it's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And in that prayer, Jesus says we should be praying for your will to be done. For your will to be done. That you should be praying that, that your kingdom should come. Kind of interesting. Why was Jesus saying that's, how we sh that's, what, that's what we should pray? Because if we pray it and we really mean it, that means that's what we really want. It's who we really are. And so here's John finishing this letter. He's helping these Christians understand the difference between true and false Christians. There's been this problem with these false teachers that have come into the church. And again, they weren't false teachers that had a t-shirt that said, hey, I'm a false teacher. They actually looked like everybody else and they were their friends. But they were teaching something that was wrong about who Jesus is. The, the, the Christians in the church, they had a hard time distinguishing and so John comes in and tells them, writes this letter. And so here in chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, he says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything 
according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Again, starts out kind of straightforward, like he's saying, like, hey, this is why I wrote this letter. I wrote this letter to you so that um, you would know that you have eternal life. And, you know, he said this before, you know, similar things. That it's pretty obvious. But then he starts talking about this asking. If you ask for anything. But he says if we ask anything according to his will, If we ask anything according to his will, when we pray, we should pray according to God's will. It's not just pray, just haphazardly pray. Now, understand that, you know, at different points in our Christian lives as we grow, you know, when we start out as a baby or as, you know, kind of young in our faith, our prayers are going to be more about us. They're going to, you know, just like if, you know, we didn't have the Sears catalog, but when my kids are growing up, you know, they got like the, you know, Toys R Us or whatever, a little thing, and, you know, what are they looking for? Not one of my kids, and they're wonderful children, uh, not one of them said, you know, circled gifts that said, this is what you should get for mom, or this is what you should get for a sister. It was always what I want, you know, my list, right? It was never like, oh, you know, instead of getting something for me, please, 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 get something for my sister. Then that's fine. I mean, when you're young, that's, that's what you expect. But as we grow in our faith, that should change. And so... When, when we pray according to his will, we, we need to know that we actually understand his will. We, you know, we know some obvious things. We know like, oh, we shouldn't be praying, you know, for the death of someone. You know, please God, you know, kill my teacher or kill my boss. We know that. That's not according to his will. And I'm sure some of you are going, well, you don't know my boss. Um, doesn't matter. It's not according to his will. So we know things like that are pretty obvious. But how are we going to pray according to God's will if we don't know what his will is? We need to know what his will is if we're going to pray according to his will. Now, as soon as I say that, a lot of people then kind of go, oh, okay, okay, so I just need to know what God's will is for my life. And remember, that's the question that so many people have asked 
And it's the first question they ask. And again, if you're young in your faith, you're new in your faith, I get it, you can ask that question. But as you grow in your faith, the question should not be, first of all, God, what is your will for my life? What is your plan for my life? The first question that we should be asking is, God, what is your will, period? What is your overall plan? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And only when we understand that can we then go, okay, God, what's my part in that? What do you want me to do in that? The good news is, is that you don't have to sit around and, and wait for um, you know, some you know, big moment where God you know, speaks from heaven or something like that. Because in God's word, he's already told us enough to do. What my dad used to say when he used to preach on similar topics, he said, if you just did the things that the Bible tells us to do, you would be so busy you wouldn't have time to ask for anything else to do. That most of us aren't even doing what the Bible is already telling us to do, which is clear. You know, it's a, I had a friend in the 90s who, you know, loved computers and, and he would tell me like every time a new Windows operating system would come out, he would get the newest one. And he would sometimes stand in line to get it. You go to the store, stand in line. This would be before you could do it, you know, order it online and download it. It's stand in line to get it. And I, I would ask him, like, are you even using the version you have now to 100%? Are you even, even using it 50%? But he's like, oh, the new operating system can do this and this and this and this. But you're not even using the one you have that much. I think that's how sometimes we are as Christians. God's already told us so much that we're not even doing. And then we're always like, oh, God, tell me that, that the newer thing, the bigger thing, the thing that's not in the Bible. I want to see Bible 2.0. I don't want Bible 1.0. I want the upgrade. Can you please tell me you know, something more instead of just doing what's right there. We should ask according to God's will. We need to know God's will if we're going to ask. That's why it's so important that we, that we, that we know, we study, that we're disciples. It's funny how it always comes back to discipleship. But it's not, shouldn't be surprising. If it's surprising to you that, that, you know, all roads somehow lead through discipleship, then you really haven't been reading the Bible. Or you haven't been really studying the whole Bible. Yes, it's discipleship. Yes, it's study. There's no, like, magic thing. There's no, like, secret. If I tell you a secret, then, then all of a sudden you'll understand everything. No, it's discipleship. It's a study. And it's partly our effort. Partly it's us, you know, going to Bible studies when there's opportunities. Partly it's us studying on our own. Partly it's us seeking out others who will help us and walk with us. 
it's living this out. Yeah, it's partly that. It's a big part. The Bible tells us that. But thank God that's not it. That's not all of it. As I said, discipleship is not just me acquiring knowledge. It's me acquiring knowledge and God's spirit in my life. If I'm a believer in Christ, I have his spirit. And his spirit meets that knowledge and transforms me. But we need to know God's will. And I think we are sometimes, you know, in, in, in the United States, I think we are kind of like just become so used to having an abundance, just an abundance of, you know, teaching. You can go online, you can find a hundred preachers. You, you know, you can, you can find Bible studies. You, you know, you can download things, your podcasts, all this other stuff. And, I, and, and we've just, it's weird. It's like the more we have, the more, you know, the less we actually want to interact with because we just think, God, ah, it's going to be there. The first time I went to Haiti, the first time I went to Haiti, we, we went up into this, to this village, this mountain village, and, and my friend who invited me there told me, like, you know, I want you to do something to invest in the local pastors. And I said, fine. So I, and I, so I said, I'm going to do like a four or five day thing on teaching them about the Trinity. I'm going to tell you, they didn't know me, and it wasn't because I'm an awesome teacher. It's because they were so hungry for training. People would travel hours every day just to come hear me speak, just to come learn, because they were so hungry. I'm not even sure how much they actually understood because I was speaking English. My friend was speaking Creole, sometimes French. A couple times I said stuff in English and he said it in English too and he didn't realize it. He thought he was translating it into Creole and then they said, hey, we don't understand you. But I'm a, I'm, he, he was you know, bringing the word to them. But the people were so hungry when, when I went to Kenya, the people are so hungry. I preached like a 30 to 40 minute sermon and it wasn't enough for them. They're so hungry. They're, they're not going you know, to be, oh yeah, 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 I, I just go next week or, you know, I, I, you know, no. Some of them walked like 10 miles to get to church. Sometimes we complain about driving 10 miles. They walked 10 miles to church. And when they come, they're hungry. And they expect to be fed. They don't want some little, you know, morsel of 30 to 45 minutes. You know, the pastor got up and went another 15, 20 minutes, I guess, just to fill them up. I didn't know what he was saying because he was speaking Swahili. So hungry. When, when I was in Kenya, I was teaching Greek at a at a uh, at Wayland Baptist University has a has a campus over there, and so I was teaching Greek to these people that um, you know these Kenyans, and the the Kenyans they come the, the country's big, they come from all over, and they. 
if they really value a, an American university's degree, so they really commit to it, because it's so hard to get, so rare. And they were doing a cohort, cohort model, which means classes were only offered in a four-year sequence. If you missed the class, you had to wait all the way until it came around again. And there was this one guy, he was probably in his 40s, he had a family, and, and he, he, um, he was in my class, and so he came, and you know, I, was, I met him, and, and all, and you know, he was like a lot of the other students. But then the director of the program, later on, he told me, you know that guy? Last year, he couldn't, he couldn't afford to pay his tuition. He had fallen so far behind, he couldn't pay. So we had to tell him, if you can't pay, then, then we're going to have to like, you know, you can't, you can't come to class this semester. And so when it was time for the semester to start, the students start showing up, they're traveling from all over, uh, different ways to get there, but he comes and he has the deed to his house. And he tells the director, this is the deed to my house. If I can't pay this, the school can have my house. So hungry. So hungry. We, I, you know, I'm, I went back to the, the seminary I taught at, the college students that I taught to, you know, and I told them that story because I knew a lot of them were like me when I was their age. I took it for granted. I had never been in a place where God's word resources were not available. And to be there and see these people who are so hungry to know God. If we're really going to pray, if we're going to pray the way, this very powerful way that John is saying we pray, that we pray, we pray according to his will, and we got to know his will. we got to know. Again, I'm not talking to you if you're a new believer. If you're a new believer, hey, just keep growing. Just keep growing. You'll get there. But the rest who've been, been growing in their faith, do we know God's plan? Do we know what his kingdom is? Do we know what he's trying to accomplish in this world? Do, you know why? do we know why he created? Do we know why he redeemed? Do you know why he established his church? Do you know what the church is supposed to do and the church is supposed to be? It's one of the reasons I spent so long talking about healthy church. Because that's part, huge part, of God's will and God's kingdom. Well, then we get this weird part. And whenever people get weird parts in scripture, they get weird. I'm not sure why. But they look at this next section of scripture starting in 16, and all they can fixate on is the phrase, sin that leads to death. That's all they care about. I've heard so many people, oh, Pastor, what's the sin that leads to death? You know, 
and, and why are they asking the question? Maybe because they're afraid they, they might do it, right? The sin that leads to death, what is it? Well, it could be putting cream and milk in your coffee. No, it's not. But it could be a lot of things. I don't think that's the point. John's point is not to tell you what the sin that leads to death is. We can make some guesses. And, and what seems to be true is that it's someone who is, is, is continually practicing sin. Especially someone who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ, not a baby, in fact, teaching and teaching something that's false. In other words, they've known God's word long enough that they, they should know what is true. And they insist not only in teaching what is false, but in continuing in sin. But again, that's not the point. The point of what John's saying is not to tell you what the sin that leads to death is. Instead, he's telling us something about praying. It's telling us something about what we ask God. And he's saying we should pray that God will help that person stop sinning. We should pray that God will, will stop you or me from sinning. That should be part of our prayer. That's something you can know is according to God's will you know that God's will is not that we would continue and persist and practice sin. You know that. And you know that in the, in the church that he wouldn't want any Christian brother or sister to do that. So you, he's saying, you, you can pray for that. Pray for that. And don't worry, you know. I mean, some people go, well, I'm afraid to do that because what if I do pray for the one that leads to death? No. Again, it's not the point. And really, the only way we're really going to know someone is continuing in sin, persisting in sin, the only way we're going to know that is over a period of time of us praying for that person, or if we're the one, people praying for us, and then us also talking and working with that person and seeing that person over time. Are they, are they growing? Are they struggling? Or are they, are they willfully and shamelessly saying I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and believing what I'm believing and acting the way I'm acting. It's going to be time. So in that time, we don't know, and in the time that we don't know, we should be praying. Because there's something bigger at play here. If you remember earlier in the letter, what is one of the hallmarks of true faith and fully understand who Jesus is. One of the hallmarks is that we love each other. And if we love each other and we see a brother or sister in sin, we at least can pray for them. We can at least pray that God will help them. That God will bring them out. That God will restore them. We can at least do that. Because when we do that, 
what we're, what we're showing is that we are willing, because this is the other part of this, we are willing to accept that brother or sister when they're restored. See, this is the problems the church has with, with people who are, who are caught up in practicing sin. And I'm talking about not non-Christians. It's talking about people who claim to be Christians and claim to be part of your church. The problem is we often don't say anything. We just kind of, you know, just kind of ignore it, kind of hope it doesn't affect us and kind of look the other way. But then when, when, we, when we finally do something, we, we don't necessarily do the right thing or we, or we don't do it for the right reason. You know, either they just leave or we kind of just make them feel so uncomfortable that they leave. But the third place where we have struggle, and part of it's because it, it happens so rarely, is what happens when that person finally is, has dealt with that situation where God has restored them, are we able to receive them back? Or are we only able to see them as we saw them before, practicing that sin? Part of this, when we're praying that God will restore, is not to say, Oh, glad that guy's gone. Hope he never comes back. No. We want this person to be restored. And so, what is one of the things we pray for? That God will help us stop from sinning. But we also recognize here in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And earlier, John had talked about if we're born of God, it's because of, of Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see, what we acknowledge is Jesus is the one who keeps us sinning. If, if you're worried about, am I doing sinning unto death? If, am, am I caught up in that? The answer is no if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. In fact, John seems to indicate that would be impossible. It's not possible. Oh, you, you might sin, but you're not going to persist in it. You're going to battle against it. And remember, with, with, with John, he's not talking about perfection. But he's talking about what is the struggle? What is the struggle? Is there at least a struggle in your life? Or have you just so given in that you go, there's no struggle. I've just decided that what the Bible says is not correct. I'm going to do the opposite. And it's cool. I don't even feel guilty about it. I'm good. Is it that? Is there a journey? Is there movement from, you know, you know, yeah, I've, I've been struggling with this and I keep struggling with it, but I can see that God's doing something where he's helping me. You see, some of you have been together for a long time 
But, uh, you know, a lot of you haven't been. Our journeys have kind of merged together. Some within the last few months, some within the last couple years. We don't know where you started. You don't know where I started. And if we don't know where someone started, we can't really appreciate how far they've come. You know, I had a friend in high school who, you know, he, 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 had, he had been a Christian for a few years when I, got, when I knew him. And, and he, he, once in a while, would have a few moments of being really upset. I, I once saw this guy. Um, it's the last fight I was ever in. But I once saw this guy in this, during this fight. The rest of us were trying to like fight other humans. Uh, he punched the gym floor. Never seen a guy do that before. And I think he might have cracked it. Um, we, you know, not very many people want to beat up the gym. But he did. But if you knew where this guy came from, if you knew how, what his life was like, what he, the kind of home he grew up in, if you knew what happened when he became a Christian and how God had so radically changed his life, you, would, you wouldn't judge him by that action you saw later on. Because you would have seen how far God had brought him. That's what's hard for us is we don't see that sometimes. You know, some of, again, some of you have been together for a long time. You know each other's journeys. But a lot of times we don't. And because of that, we don't always appreciate and we don't always know, like, is this person actually dealing with this better today than they were five years ago, ten years ago? Jesus keeps us from sinning unto death. And again, he doesn't keep us from sinning, but he keeps us from sinning unto death. You see, these false teachers, they didn't believe in the true Jesus. They only wanted to say part of Jesus, the part that, that they, that they you know, kind of fit with their beliefs. They didn't want Jesus to change their beliefs they wanted to take the parts of Jesus that they wanted and then, you know, change Christianity. And because of that, they never really had faith in Jesus and they weren't really born of God. And then the ultimate demonstration was they broke unity. They left. And what John is saying is Jesus would stop that. And I like what he says at the end. He says, he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Comes back to Jesus. And so when we see what should we ask for? Well, we should ask according to God's will. 
we, we need to know God's will if we're going to ask. If we're going to ask for big or small things, we should be asking, how do they fit in God's will? And we know for sure that we should be praying for our brothers and sisters that are caught up in sin, that God would, would, would save them and stop them from sinning and, and restore them and, and that we, we can receive them back as brothers and sisters. And we should trust that it's Jesus who keeps us from sinning. And so when I, when, when I was looking at this and studying this, you know, these, these questions came to my mind because I'm going to tell you I don't do this nearly enough. But if what we ask for reveals who we are, when is the last time we prayed for God's kingdom to come? When is the last time we prayed that our church would be healthy? When is the last time we prayed that we would be more like Jesus? Well, for some of you, it might have been as early as as recent as today. For some of us, it's been much longer. And, and you gotta, you gotta think, why not? If, if you're one of those people who goes, you know, I don't pray for those things. I don't pray that we have a healthy church. I don't pray that I be more like Jesus. I don't pray, you know, for God's kingdom to be established in this world. I don't pray for those things. The question is, why not? And again, one reason could be you're just new in your faith. You're young in your faith. That's okay. You're, you're going to grow. You're going to learn. For some of you, maybe it's somehow in how many ever years you've been a Christian, you just never realized it. Well, guess what? You do now, okay? You do now. But there's a third category. And I really hope none of us are in this category. But the third category is this. Because we don't want it. Because we don't want our church to be healthy. We want our church to be something else. Maybe we want it to be different, but we don't want it to be healthy. Because healthy means all of us and each of us, it's, it's, things are going to be different. They're going to change. And we don't want change. Or we only want change in a, in a certain place, a certain direction. Or maybe we think healthy means that, you know, the pews are full. And we don't really understand it. But sometimes it's because we just don't want it. We don't pray to be more like Jesus because we actually understand what happens when you start becoming more like Jesus. We, we see what happened the last time someone who was exactly like Jesus, in fact, his name was Jesus, what the world did to him. Are you willing to be hated by the world? Are you willing to be falsely accused and beaten, mocked and crucified? We want to be like Jesus, but we want to be like Jesus like in like Disneyland world. 
where, you know, there's not really those kind of enemies, those kind of problems. And do we really want God's kingdom to come? I think people are, no, because, because I'm going to tell you I'm the same way as much as I see how much this world is hurting, I still find it entertaining, and so do you. It's why none of you, you know, sit around and, you know, watch some boring city council meeting on C-SPAN. Well, maybe some of you do, but I don't think you do. But if you knew they were going to fight about rail, oh, you want to watch, right? You want to watch. If they're just going to be up there and drone on and on about something you don't really care about and they're all like, you know, you don't care. One of the keys to every single kind of entertainment we watch is conflict. We love conflict. Do we really want a world of peace where there's no conflict? I think sometimes the answer is no, because we love this world way too much. And so I hope none of us is in that last category. I hope most of us are just, you know, we just really haven't known, we just haven't really thought about it, or, you know, I'm still new in my faith. But I hope all of us will devote ourselves to understanding more about God's kingdom because it is wonderful. God's kingdom is not what history tells us happens when Christians get into power. That is not God's kingdom. Every time Christians have come into power and taken over a government, things have not gone well because they stopped being Christian. But God's kingdom when you really understand, when his infinite love, when his incredible holiness overwhelms a people, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's the highest way that we can live. We need to know his kingdom. We need to pray for his kingdom. We need to know what a healthy church is and we need to pray that God will make our church healthy. And we need to know more and more and more what it means to be like Jesus so that we might become exactly that.